Well, welcome. Thank you so much. We have Cheryl Bouchard, who happens to be a, a well-known um, author. She has written several books. One of her latest ventures is the Jet Set Online Educational Program. She's really got this promoted and everything. And so, Cheryl, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself? What's your background? Well, uh, Shari, first of all, I want to say thank you for inviting me to be a part of um, your summit, and uh, it's it's an honor to be able to talk about something that I love talking about. So tell you just a little bit about myself. I have been in the investment arena for well over 20 years. Um, I actually got started working for a major Wall Street firm, which was at the time Dean Winter Reynolds, which is now Morgan Stanley, and uh, I was a stockbroker. And uh, while I was there, I learned everything about investing because I came from a, a pre-med uh, background in college, and so I didn't know a whole lot about investing or anything about the business world, but I always knew a little bit about entrepreneurship. So I was a little entrepreneur when I was nine years old. So I always had this desire or to want to know more about how money worked. And so when I left college and trying to decide upon whether I wanted to be a, a doctor or did I want to go into the business community, the business world, I guess I should say, I decided upon the business world and went into the investment arena. And uh, so my background has been I've been studying and talking about investing and finance for a very long time. I've written several books on it. Um, the very, very, very first book that I wrote was called The Black Woman's Guide to Financial Independence, and that was uh, Smart Ways to Manage Your Money. So I've been writing and talking about money for a very, very long time. Well, you are the absolute perfect person because <laughs> you have a well background and, you know, you know the ups and downs and, you know, and it's that thing about money that seems to be so elusive for so many people. So what have you found in terms of what, why is that, you know, a problem for so many people in understanding about their money? What do you think are some of the reasons? I think the biggest challenge has been is that money just isn't taught in the school system. And unless you come from a family where, you know, money was discussed around the dinner table, you really don't have that. And so a lot of people are operating from um, nothing. They have no idea about money. They don't understand how it works. They don't understand anything about investing. And so, you know, they just know that they go to work every day, they get their paycheck, and then they, you know, they get a credit card and they pay their bills, and hopefully they have a little bit left over for savings, but most people don't. So they don't know anything about money, and they just they just aren't taught anything. So, uh, and I would have to say, you know, you have the one percenters and the 99 percenters, and it's the 99 percenters who don't have any, who don't know, and don't come from usually family backgrounds with money. But then the one percenters, you do have, they're the ones who are teaching your children, their children around the dinner table about finance and investing. And I learned that when I started working in the market, uh, in the stock market and working for Dean Witter because I, again, like my family, I came from a middle-class family. We didn't really talk about money too much, 
investing, no way. I mean, uh, that was something that, you know, only the wealthy people did. It just wasn't something that was common. And so I had to learn it on my own. And I think that I was just such an inquisitive child all the time. I wanted to learn about everything. So I think for me personally, I didn't have – I had the initiative on my own to learn it. And so unless you have that initiative and unless you have someone pushing you, you're not going to have that that background. And that's why today people are struggling. Yeah, having that financial education I think Mm -hmm. is so important. Um, The one thing that really impressed me, way back and why how I got involved was my mother's about 90 years old and she mm-hmm. told me about she never invested my mother was very solid I'm only going to have a house I'm going to have a car and put money in my savings and maybe in a CD and that's just what I'm going to do and that was it but now she had a friend mother my mother's friend who's 90 years old she only had a fourth or maybe a sixth grade education and but somebody and she always did housekeeping. That's all she did. So somebody took the initiative to teach her about how to invest in the stock market. And so from that, I was so I was intrigued. I said, I need to learn. So I figured, okay, she was only in the sixth grade. She knew about adding, subtracting, multiplying, and dividing. Those are the four skills that she, she had to have had. But someone mm-hmm. took the time to teach her so that has been what, why I've been very interested in looking at um, what the stock market can do for people and how it can change your life. This lady, like I said, only had a sixth-grade education, and she traveled all over the world. And I yeah. go, wow. You know, it's, you know, it's a house. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. No, I was going to say, and, and, that, and you bring up a very good point that, you know, a lot of people think that have, they need to have this Ph.D. in finance in order to invest, but really the only skills you need to understand are how to add, subtract, multiply, and divide. If you know those four skills, you're pre- you can handle the stock market. It isn't this thing out here where, I mean, you just, oh, my goodness, you've got to have someone else teach you how to do it. It's so difficult. And that was the surprising thing that I learned when I began working in the market. I mean, um, you know, here I was, I'm coming from college, uh, pretty much all science, but I did have a lot of math. I, have, uh, I had taken a lot of math because I love numbers. But when I got into the business, what I realized was, and it was an eye-opening moment for me because I remember saying to myself, wait a minute, this stuff isn't all that hard. But the way Wall Street makes it seem to people, which I think is by design, is to make it seem difficult and that you need to, you know, have all these credentials and degrees and everything in order to understand it. Because if you didn't, if you if they told you that you didn't need that, then you wouldn't need them. You wouldn't need a financial advisor. You wouldn't need a stockbroker. And so it's all by design to make people think that you it's so much more complicated than what it really is so that Wall Street continues to make money. And that's the thing that I learned when I started working uh, for one of the big firms. Well, now now that we have the advantage of having what is it, the Internet, that mm-hmm. seems like that has tended to um, make the playing field level now. You don't, yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. you have the robo, what they call robo-advisors. 
and yeah. you know, and so forth. So that to me seems like, and maybe, so you know what I'm talking about. So how would you define the the robo advisors? Because that seems to be a whole nother level of what's happening with online investing. Yeah, definitely. Robo advisor just means that you really have a computer or you're using technology to basically put together a person's investment portfolio. You don't need a real person. So instead of me uh, looking at your, uh, you know, your portfolio and saying, okay, Shari, you should invest uh, $10,000 in XYZ and then you should invest 20000 in ABC, and, because, and that's using human emotions. That's me, I'm telling you what you should do versus a robo-advisor it's all done by computer technology, and and it's there is no human, there's no emotions. It's here's what your goal is, here's how much money you have, and if you want to get to this place over here, these are the things that you need to do. So the the um, technology has become so much more sophisticated that the human element is no longer really even necessary uh, for people. So that's the good news for people bad news for people who are in the investment advisory business because now they're going to be replaced by technology. And uh, that is true. That is happening more and more, and you're going to see that becoming a whole lot more sophisticated as time goes on. And people will be able on their own to um, figure out how to invest and how to, um, you know, what to do with their money. But, of course, there's always going to be a, a small element of people who really want that hands-on touch um, type of service. So it will never, ever go away, but I would say for a lot of people, maybe I would say 50%, 60% of the people are just going to want to use that robo-advisor as opposed to having to hire a financial advisor to go over their um their portfolio, especially the millennials. They're very tech-savvy, um, and they, in fact, uh, that was an article I just recently read was how the financial advisory business or Wall Street is having a really hard time with even getting that client, that millennial client. They're saying, no, we don't want to work with a human. <laughs> we want to just, we have it all by ourselves using technology. We just get our robo-advisor. So there's a lot of changes that are coming down the pipeline for the whole financial industry. Well, I, I really like that because I think that what we're really, you know, the millenniums are really, like you said, they're very tech savvy. And then you have people who are like baby boomers, you have the elderly, and then you have Generation X. And so one study I did see showed that each of those generational has a different view of how they want to make their investment. And um, now that we have the robo-advisors, but is there still something that we could put together using that technology? So let's say, how much should we invest in? You know, let's say most people will want to say, I want at least to have a million dollars. I mean, that, that's kind of an old school, but still, that still represents a substantial amount of money for a lot of people. So what would you, how would you advise, you know, in using both a uh, a human element as well as using a robo uh, advisor, how could you measure? How could you mesh that and make that uh, in terms of talking to someone about how how could they reach that million dollars? Let's say in five years, if that's possible. What do you think? Well, and that's a very good question. I think you can do both, and I think it is great to do both. Honestly, uh, I think you do need a little bit of that human element in 
when advising you on money. And so the first thing I would probably say is, you know, maybe you could start off with the um, robo-advisor, for example, and that's a good example. So let's say you want to make a million dollars, and let's say you are 25 years old and you put in, um, you know, I'm 25, this is the amount of money that I make every year, and I, you know, I want to get to a million dollars in this length of time, you know, 15 or 20 years from now or 30 years from now, how do I get there? And the, that's what the robo-advisor can do. It can crank out those numbers and tell you, okay, you need to invest this amount of money every single year, and you have to get this return in order to make that million. So that would be with that robo-advisor. Um, where the human element will come in is making sure that you're doing all everything properly. So the robo-advisor will say, yes, you should invest in these types of stocks. It may not tell you what stocks to invest in or what what particular investment to make versus the human element might say, you know, you should consider maybe Apple Computer would be one of the stocks you might have, you want to buy or Amazon or, you know, some other company. So um, I think the robo-advisor will kind of give you this general, in terms of numbers, it will give you those numbers and tell you here's how to get to it. But I think in terms of really designing the portfolio, I really do think you need to talk with someone because everyone is different, and that robo-advisor is going to be more of a generalist type of advice versus, you know, maybe something you want, maybe um, very specific to your needs. You know, maybe you want to have stocks that pay a dividend versus stocks that are computer tech or, you know, so that's where the human element comes in. So definitely you can do both and use both. And it's really to your advantage. I think when you walk, um, and this is one of the reasons why I wrote that book, the very first book that I wrote, because when I was there in the business, what I saw was that um, so many people, particularly women, were being taken advantage of. Uh, when, because it's still a male-dominated industry, and Wall Street is. And so when women had come in, they would, they would just turn over their money, and a lot of times the investment advisors and brokers would just na- make really bad decisions with their money. So I always advise people to have get financially educated ahead of time before you walk into an office and speak to anyone. Let them know that you have the knowledge, you understand, you've, you've done your homework, you, you know, you research, you've read so many books, and you've done the robo-advisors. Let them know ahead of time, and then that way you're not likely to be taken um, advantage of. So it is important well, I, to get financially educated. Well, I'll, I, I think that's a really good point because I personally, I'll have to share my personal experience because this is really right on time. I had saved a hundred thousand dollars, and I have it, you know, had it in the market. And mm-hmm. I got a call from, you know, because they saw my robo advisor kind of thing, and they told me, well, so now um, I want to show you what you can do and how you want to do it. And I said, well, wait a minute, does that mean I turn over everything to you? He says, absolutely. I said, oh no, that's not going to be for me. Yes. <laughs> absolutely not. And <laughs> that I, I was just, I was so flabbergasted that I mean, he was so abrupt. Yeah. You know, and hung the phone up right then really? and there. Wow. Yes. That's not And good. so I'm glad that I was like, uh, no, I, I'm not giving you that carte blanche. <laughs> you know? mm-hmm. So I think that's a really good point that you're saying is that become knowledgeable. And um, 
So how how does one become knowledgeable? That that that's another question. You know, I I don't think I know all the answers, but I think you might be a, an expert. You could explain that a little bit more. Well, I think it you know things like this. You know, being a part of uh, investment summits, listening to. Uh, other experts who have been in the business, reading books. Um, sometimes I know the Internet can be a little bit overwhelming with a lot of information and a lot of people telling you all different types of things, so it can, can be very confusing. But, you know, what I tell people, you know, follow if there's a couple of people who you really like, financial advisors or financial gurus that are out there, you know, and you like what they're saying, don't, you know, try to follow everybody. Just follow a couple people who you really kind of um, – um, identify with their message. Uh, go to seminars. Go to investment conferences. Uh, there's always investment conferences that are going on all throughout the country. I'm on any day. I mean, if you just Google investment co- um, seminars or conferences in your area, I'm sure you'll find them. And a lot of times they're free. So, but you know, a lot of times they are selling things to you, or they're trying to get your money. But at the same time, many times they are offering you information so you can learn bits and pieces when you attend those conferences. I think, Shari, it's really about making a decision um, for people. You just have to make a decision. We're like anything in life. You know, if you really want to really control and master your money and your finances, it's really about making a decision and saying, you know what, I'm going to do whatever it takes to learn this, to master to master this. So if it means I need to, you know, read the Wall Street Journal every day or read a book on finance every day or, um, read, you know, read something or, or maybe su- subscribe to a financial newsletter that you get every day, you know, you might get it every day or once a week or once a month. Those are all the things that's going to help to educate you. And it really, it really is making a decision and saying I'm going to do whatever it takes to understand it. And and don't get too overwhelmed. Don't try to learn everything about finances. So start with, you know, one thing at a time. So if it's the stock market that you really want to learn, start there. And then once you've got that, you've mastered it, you understand how it works, then move on to another type of investment. So maybe it's, you know, options. You know, that's a whole other category of investing. So, you know, once you've got one down, go on to the next one. Maybe it's real estate investing. People, I think what happens, they try to do everything at once. And you just can't do that. I think today our brains... They're so occupied today with all the technology and all the numbers and everything. Our brains can no longer, they really just can't take all this, this input of data that's starting to come into everywhere you look. There's data. There's ads. And I think our brains are becoming um, just too overwhelmed and overloaded. So people need to um, just start with one in type of investment and learn it, do it, and then move on to something else. I, I like that. Now, what do you um, – you mentioned something else in that. You mentioned about stocks, and you also mentioned possibly something about real estate. So mm-hmm. that gets into the idea of being diversified. What do you think about being diversified? Oh, absolutely. You never want to have all your all your eggs in one basket. You never want to – and that's what they call it. You never want to put all your money in the stock market. You never want to have everything in real estate um, because – when one goes down, then your whole, you know, investment portfolio is gone. And and I, that's what happened with a lot of people in 2008 when the market had that major crash. So many people had 100% of their money in the market, 
and they ended up not being able to retire, uh, and and vice versa. A lot of people had 100% of their money in real estate. So you know, and that the when the real estate market tanked as well. So you can't have you got to have a diversification of all your investments. I usually tell people you want to have money in the stock market, you want to have money in real estate, you want to have money in cash. You want to have money in uh, precious metals, so something like gold or silver. Um, and then you want to have money in your own business. Uh, I, I still believe that. I don't care how, how much, how, you know, whether you're an executive working for a Fortune 500 company, I, I don't care. You better, you're not in control of that. You better have something else on the side going. I don't, if it's bacon, cookies, or fixing computers or something else that you better do. And I think that's what a lot of people didn't do. They didn't have another side um, hustle. Um, and so when, when the market, when the 2008 hit and people started losing their jobs, they had nothing else to fall back on. So diversification is extremely important, not just for investments, but also for your career. I love that. I really love that. <laughs> um, and i gotta, I got to go back over this because this is just, a gem, absolutely a gem. You mentioned about in being diversified in um, whether that's the stock market, whether it's uh, real estate, having cash, having precious metal, uh, you know, whether gold, silver, platinum, and then the fifth one, having your own business, having yeah. a side. And to me, that is where we really are because um, this whole thing, uh, I live in California, and right now, you're at will as an employee. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm not a government employee. That means at any moment I could be given a pink slip at Absolutely. any moment. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I really found that it's – I really think you really hit on something because that's something that people really need to get from this. And I think with all the things that's gone on this whole year around the election and all of that, it has really hit home that people's lives and their uh, income is not safe. It's not no. safe. We don't know. So I really think that, that you really hit onto something that we really need to, to broaden people's awareness and yeah. getting people looking at how they want to prepare their life. You know, you yeah. can get injured on the job and you can be fired. Absolutely, and that's what I said. You could be a high-level executive making $500,000, but you don't own that company, and you are not in control. And any day, in any moment, like you just said, you could get that pink slip. And it's happening every single day. Twitter just recently announced they're getting rid of about 300 people in their headquarters in, in the Bay Area, in San Francisco. I mean, so that's 350 people in November who are now going to be laid off right before the holidays, and which is what's crazy is that they always tend to lay people off during the holidays, which is like the worst time to lay anyone off during the holidays, right? I mean, come on, oh, why yeah. even lay people off during the holidays when, I mean, it's just it's mind-boggling to, how they do these things, but, you know, I, I don't get it, but they do. And so imagine those 350 people now trying to figure out what are they going to do in 2017. So if they didn't have something else going on on the side to fall back on, many of them, and I'm sure they'll get a year, you know, six months to a year severance severance package, but what they're finding today is trying to get another job is now taking two years minimum 
to get another job. So, mm-hmm. I, you know, that's why I'm glad you're saying this, and that's a point that has to be made. So if you get laid off, you may not get another job for two years. So if you don't have two years' worth of income saved up to pay your monthly bills, you're going to be in trouble. Or you don't have a backup with your side business that at least might be bringing you some money in. So that is so important right now in terms of diversification, well, your career. Thank you so much for just bringing that home. <laughs> bringing that home. That's that's what we're talking about. So let's let's getting back to because um, I want to kind of touch on each one of them. So if we were to set up a portfolio, what kind of stocks would you? I don't know if you want to recommend or which sector would you say? How about that? Let's not go into recommending stock. Which sector would you consider as a as a good one to start off small and and build up over a period of time? Because we're talking about diversification. What would you recommend? Yeah. What I would say to people is I can't give a um, I can just give you a general information because so everyone has different circumstances. So I'm not going to make any recommend you know specific recommendations. But I tend to like stocks that pay dividends. Um, so I look at companies like, and I'll just name them. I'm not going to say I'm recommending them, but I'll name them. So I look at companies like a Coca-Cola or um, a Starbucks or um, a lot of the food industry type companies. These are all the ones, or even pharmaceuticals, they normally pay uh, dividends. Even McDonald's, you know, they pay dividends. I like those stocks because with with those stocks, there's income that's being generated in addition to the return. Um, some people only want to do growth-type stocks. I and mean, when you're looking at growth-type type stocks, you're looking at more of the the Twitters, um, you know, the the Ubers, and, you know, those kind of – Ubers are not IPO yet, but when it does come out, it will be like an IPO or a Facebook. Those are more of you make your money on the growth so they're really because they're not paying you a dividend. So for a conservative investor, I tend to tell them to look at companies that are paying dividends. And normally there are companies that deal with consumable products. So it could be a Kellogg or a Procter & Gamble or um, a pharmaceutical. Those are the ones that tend to pay the dividends. And then the other ones would be more of the technology-type companies. Um, you might uh, Some of the oil and gas companies, they pay they pay dividends. Um, it, it just it just depends. So it really depends on what you're looking for. And and you might want to have a combination of both. You know, you have the dividend paying stocks along with the growth type stocks um, and the different industries. Like right now, what are the industries that are really going to be um, paying off? Or what what are what are the ones you should stay away from? You know, those are what you want to look at. Like who's Who's having a hard time making money right now? Who's who's really struggling? I think Ford is struggling right now. Some of the automobile companies are starting to struggle because people they're finding that you know people don't have the money to buy new cars. So you, what I always recommend people do is look at the trends, look at what people are buying and what they are not buying, and you can just talk to people. Ask you know go to their grocery store, look online, go when you um, look on Amazon, see what are the hot items that are being sold, what's selling, you know, what's hot, and that will give you an idea of what industries and what companies you want to look at to invest in or not to invest in. If you see that, you know, like maybe real estate right right now, is good, I believe, is getting ready to hit another bubble. 
So I don't know if I would be investing in real estate stocks. Uh, millennials are not buying homes, and baby boomers are trying to get rid of their homes. So uh, that's not a good place to be uh, in the real estate in terms of investing. Now, if you are uh, in the stock market, I mean, like if you uh, want to buy into uh, a company that is make developing new homes. So I wouldn't. I don't know if I would be an investor in that. Uh, because there is a challenge right now that's that's going on with real estate. So, uh, you know, look at what's happening in the world and, you know, what are people really interested in purchasing. Uh, That's how I would make my decisions on what stocks to invest in and not to invest in. Well, I think those are some great pointers because I think that you do have to keep abreast. The stock market is not something that once you invest, it's always going to stay the same. <laughs> that is, there's, that, it is extremely a changing, volatile market. And uh, that to me is one. I'll, I'll just share, I recently invested just a few bucks, not a few, but I bought three shares in Amazon when it was going up. And mm-hmm. just this past week, it dropped 45 points. Now, it wasn't hurting me, but it's just the idea of, what if that was all the money that I had? So in that sense, you know, um, that would have been, you know, let's say I said I had $2,500 and I only wanted to invest, you know, that's all that I have. So yes. for me, that would have been, I would have been wiped, I would have lost about maybe about $400 just on that investment alone. So to me, I could see where that's a growth stock. It's is projected to go up, but it's also a time when it goes down. And when right. we see or hear things in the uh, in the news, um, they didn't meet their expectation. Um, they're still growing and spending money like everything, but they're not fundamentally sound when it comes to talking about how much money are they putting out. They're just spending money. They're not ready for if there's a downturn or anything like that. So looking at when if I were looking at the um their 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 um stock information, you know, when you look at their a company, I look at their top line revenue. Is it growing? You know, or is it declining? And so that's something you have to look at. So Definitely. yeah, that's I um yeah. so okay. And I wanna you said something I want I wanna um just get clarification on that. Because you said something and I think a lot of people and this needs to be clarified you mentioned, you said when it dropped, you had lost money. Technically, you didn't lose. You didn't lose. It's only on paper. And I want people to get this. You only lose money in the market when you sell it. So if you haven't sold it, it's just that you have a loss on paper. And that's where people make their mistake. When you see a stock drop like that, do not sell it. You hang on. You hang on to it, that, and that's what where you know where people lose their money, because once you sell it, that's it. You're not going to be able to get it back. So you hang on. All the people in 2008 liquidated their portfolios, and they liquidated, meaning they sold everything. Are so sorry because by 2011, the market was back up, and all of those stocks that they had sold had rebounded, had gone back up to where they were, even sometimes more. One of them I recall uh, in 2008, which I bought, was Citibank. Citibank was $2, because remember, all the bank stocks dropped 
because that was when, you know, everything was falling apart in the financial industry. And Citibank was $2. And so you can imagine all the people who had it and sold it at 2 With anything, you should have been buying more of it. So if you had bought Citibank at 2 because two years later, Citibank was $55 a share. And yeah. so that's the point I want to make get people to understand. Don't panic when you see a stock that you own falling because of some negative news that came out. Here's what I want people to get. Amazon is not going to disappear because the market, the stock dropped, you know, 45% um, percent or 45 points. It isn't going to fall out of the sky. You know, Amazon is not going bankrupt. The company will still be there. And that's the point I want people to understand why I think everyone gets confused and they're so afraid to invest because they always see it going down and they're thinking, oh, my God, if I put money in there, I'm going to lose all my money. No, you're not. You hang on to it. As long as the company is solid and it's not a company that's going to go away tomorrow, you're still okay. You just have to hang on. Oh, thank you for that. Thank you so much because that is a, that is a concern. That's a fear. And I mm -hmm. think you really, really can't. And I'm glad you caught me on it. <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah. so much for reminding oh, me. Oh, no, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, that is really something. And I, I think what we're really getting to is we talk about diversification, but we're also talking about a mindset. Yeah. And that is, you know, um, because we don't, many people, many of us don't understand what the market is doing and we get caught up in fear and what the noise is coming out through the news media, you know, and so forth. Mm -hmm. And we have, to, we have to begin to get steady. And, and no, we don't take all our last pennies and invest it all in the stock market, you know, and that's why we talked about diversification. But I just really feel that um, I'm glad you hit me on that one. That was perfect. Yeah. <laughs> well, Shara, you got to re realize, again, you asked me the first question at the very beginning of our conversation, why is it people, you know, don't understand any of this? Because we're not getting, we're not educated. We don't know anything about how the market works. The only reason, and I didn't mention this, before, um, after I graduated from college and my pre-med degree, trying to make a decision whether to go to medical school or not, I went to a community college and I took a course on stock market investing. It was at a community college and I took a course on it. So I did it before I became a stockbroker. So I, because I wanted to understand everything about investing. I didn't know anything about investing. I knew numbers because I had all these math classes, but I didn't know anything about investing, what is a stock. And so I took a course at a community college on investing. And so that's one thing I would recommend people to do was an adult education course. Uh, and there's plenty of those. You know, just check your adult education um, community college and you can get a course like that. So if somebody is serious about learning about this, I would highly recommend you do that. And then you you get a chance to understand, okay, what is a stock? How does it work? You know, what, is, what are all the different stock exchanges? So I did all of that before I became a stockbroker. Oh, that's great. Thank you for that. I mean, you know, it's getting that education, really getting yeah. an education. Yeah. Um, one of the things that, you know, that we talked about a the diversification, and what it, we want is that we want our money. We don't want to work for the money, but we want our money to work for us. What do you think about that? 
Oh, my goodness, yes, definitely, because you want you, you know, you're going to work every day working probably 40 to 60 hours, and if you you don't want to be spending all of your money because that means you'll have to continue to work forever and ever. So what you want to do is make sure that you're putting money away every time you go to work, you know, and I know this is hard for people to do, but if you could put away a good, you know, 25 to really up to 50% of your monthly income going toward, you know, your investments, boy, you would be so happy if you did that because that if you did that, you wouldn't have to work, you know, you can work and do that for maybe a good 10 or 15 years. And then from your investments, you probably would be able to live off your investments and the income from it if you were to do that. And I know that's hard to do because our expenses are so high and, you know, a lot of people are living paycheck to paycheck. And that's where the whole money management comes in. That means really, you know, paying attention to your money. You know, just the other day I was watching, looking at my uh, cable bill, you know. It went up. And, I'm, you know, I'm like, wait a minute, what happened? How come my cable bill went up like $100? Um, and I called the cable company immediately, and I said, look, I, I, if it's going to be this amount of money, you need to cancel it. Um, and, you know, things like that, because all that, that little bit, you know, it adds up, $100 here, $20 over here, and 50 over here, that all adds up, and that's money that could have been used for your investing. So really taking a look at your expenses and really um, calculating what do you really need to live off of and then putting that other and banking that other money and to be able to invest it and make that money work for you instead of you working for money. I like that one. I um I my mother I mentioned already is about ninety. Well I sit down and I watch my mother. My mother still pays all of her own bills. She wow. lives in her own house. And you know, and so she can tell me very clearly, I don't want that I want this, I don't want that, and I paid for my own house, I have my own car, so you can't tell me nothing. <laughs> so she's always giving me a lesson. <laughs> so, you know, wow. one day I said, I said, you know, let me stop and watch and see what my mother has done. She's got a point here. She paid for her own house by herself as a single woman wow. in California. She doesn't That's- live in the worst neighborhood, Okay. So I yeah. said, you know, wait a minute, let me listen to what she has to say. So mm-hmm. I started changing, like for me, I take my lunch every day. I still work. Mm-hmm. I take my lunch. I very rarely eat out. That's number one because that was a big expense. So now I can take that money and put it, you know, into my investment. I, I invested also. I started using my company's uh, 401K, and yeah. they matched wow. it. And so I, before the half of the year, I'll put in there up to 30%, and I only live on that 70%. There you go. And so then, you know, I'm just saying, so, and so I also take care of my mom a little bit. She still gets her Social Security, but there's things that she needs. So as a result, I was able to give her extra money so she didn't have to worry about leaving her home because to her that was like, I, I can't live anywhere else but my home. Right. But I really found that listening to some of the elders and how they save money, because they obviously didn't make as much money as many of us make right now, 
they learned how to put their money and make it work for them. And um, especially a lot of a lot of school teachers, you'll find some of them. You'll hear these stories how they had an endowment and they were able to leave more than two and a half million. You say, well, how did they save that kind of money? So I think we can learn a lot from those stories. How did they put their money and make it work? And they tied. They, I mean, they they really did a lot, you know. Yeah, and they absolutely I did. Really, you know. So that to me is a lesson that we might want to pull off and use that as part of a way to seeing how we can be more um, resourceful and be better stewards of our money. Because I think that's absolutely. really what we're talking. about. Absolutely. And you know what? I, it's so funny we're having this conversation because I had this conversation with my son. And one of the challenges I see today is that there's just too many options and too many distractions for people today. Whereas with the elder people, you know, I, I remember telling him, you know, we used to just, when I was a little girl, um, every Sunday we went to the movies because we didn't have the Internet. You know, we didn't have all this other stuff to spend our money on, you know, we would have a few little toys, but then that was pretty much it. We went to the movies. Today, you know, now you have a lot of things to buy, and you're every day you're being hit with advertisement. You know, you need this toothpaste so that you can get this man, or you need to color your hair, or you need to wear this dress or this deodorant. So there's a lot of of um, marketing messages that deal with money and company, which means and they're trying to take money out of your pocket every day. So you have to become very, very conscientious about your money. And one of the things I tell people, um, when they go to the store and they pick up something that they really don't, they don't really need it, you know, and you ask yourself, you know, is this going to help me to get to my goal of, and maybe the goal is you want to start working after, you know, 10 years. You want to retire in 10 years, let's say. So you ask your so when you go in and you pick up that extra whatever it is you're, you're looking at to purchase, you ask yourself that question. Is this buying this, is this going to help me to retire in 10 years, or is it going to prolong my retirement in 10 years? And I think if people have that a goal in their head and they keep it there, Every time they go out shopping and they ask themselves that question, is it going to get me closer to the goal or prolong the goal? I think that's when people will stop spending money on things that they don't really need because there are so many distractions. They're always trying to get your money. Every time you look, I mean, look at the Internet. I mean, I'll probably get at least 100 marketing messages on buying something. And so if you get caught up in that, the next thing you know, you have no money left over. So that's what's I, I, between the day and the elders. Well, I think I really like that. And I, I um, one of the things I have found watching my mom, if I put my all my credit cards, I have a few of them, I'll be honest with you, but the balances are less than 30% on them, so I'm okay. I feel I'm okay, okay. But I put them away. I put them away so when I go to the store, I can't just rip out my credit card. I cannot. I have to go home and physically pull one out if I'm going to buy. But then I found if I waited three to five days before <laughs> I made that purchase, I was more than likely I would really, you know, be able to differentiate between want 
and need. And need. Mm-hmm. Yep. That to me, that was like my, that's, I mean, that's, I mean, I have to do that for myself. I mean, honestly, sure. I have to. Yeah, we all do because we, we're so, it's so easy to, we, it, that impulse buying, you know, be, again, because mm-hmm. we hear these marketing messages and a lot of people don't realize that they're so subconscious that you just want to go and buy it. You know, you're walking down the aisle and, you know, you just all of a sudden pick up this item that you might have heard, you know, on a commercial, you know, a couple of days ago. And you didn't, you may not even have been looking at the commercial, but you heard the commercial. So on a very subconscious level, that product is there. That's how, you know, we could have a whole other conversation about the whole mindset thing, you know, I mean, and, and the whole idea, I mean, the psychology, because these companies have studied, they know how to get, how to push that button in our mind to make us purchase what they want, and it's so deep that we don't even know it's there. I mean, think about I, it. You, right? How many times have you gone well, to the store and you picked up something on a, something that you saw on a commercial? You probably thought you saw it, like, oh man, you know, I need this. You know, and you put it in your basket. And then when you got home, you're like, why did I buy this? Have you ever done that? Well, I mean, it's even worse because now it's if you're on Facebook or any yes. of the social media, you will see if you've ever bought anything through Amazon, they will okay. track what you have purchased. Absolutely. And, and um, I'm just saying that that is one way that I see oh. myself. I have to just say no. I really have to say no. I really did. I, I I bought a sofa recently, and I was so proud of myself. I really I was so proud. But it took me four months to buy that sofa. It took mm-hmm. me. I, I went through, and I said, well, okay, if I have Amazon deliver it, then i got to figure out how am I going to get it in my house. Okay, now that's a problem. I mean, but I'm saying I I really had to be able to not allow my emotions to get away with the yeah. because I needed this couch. But, again, I think it's, it's that you have to set up some sort of a, uh, a deterrent or a barrier so that you mm-hmm. don't get caught up because, you know, we are bombarded with a lot of the, uh, the advertisements, the enticements. Um, oh, I, I need this cap. I need this. You know, people yeah. are, and they are marketing, and it's going to even get worse. Absolutely. Um, so one of the things I, I know we want to talk. I, I want to get one other thing. And looking at, we want to create this idea of a wealthy person. What would you define as maybe four or five items that we could say that would define a wealthy person? What would you define that as? Well, I think the first thing I would say for a wealthy person is someone who has um, has enough money. Well, it, it, I would say their money is working for them, and their investments, all their investments and whatever else they have, their businesses, it's producing cash flow that they don't have to physically work to get. In other words, it's almost like um, making money while you sleep. So I think that's a wealthy person. That means that your money is working for you 24-7. And whether you are physically doing anything, it's almost like it's on automatic pilot and it's just working for you. And that could mean, um, let's say, um, the stock market, let's say you have a portfolio of dividend stocks. It's throwing off income from your stocks. Or it could be real estate. You have property 
where it's getting rental income. You're making that money 24-7. It's always growing. You could have a business where uh, every day a product might be being sold, especially if it's over the Internet. That can be a business where it's um, Internet-based and you have uh, you're selling products. And so while you're at sleep at night, someone is buying your product. So when you wake up in the morning, there's a, you know, in your, your merchant account or PayPal account, you see that there's money. When you start to have, um, that's one thing I think I would, would say is um, a wealthy person, a person who, and they have enough to live off of. They don't need to go to work. If they have enough money coming in to pay off all of their expenses, and they don't need to have a job, I consider you a wealthy person because that means you really do have financial freedom. And I think that's another thing about a wealthy, a wealthy person is um, someone who has that time freedom, time freedom and, wealth and, and financial freedom. Because time is so important, um, and if you have free time, and free time meaning you're able to not have to punch a clock. You get to go on vacations whenever you feel like you want to go on a vacation or if you want to go to the movies in the middle of the day, you know, that's time freedom. Or if you want to take your children to the zoo in the middle of the day, that's time freedom. And so a wealthy person has a lot of time freedom. They're able to, um, you know, do whatever they want to do. They're not controlled by uh, a business or control by um, an employee. And this could mean, I mean, this is a very important point even for entrepreneurs because a lot of entrepreneurs are not wealthy because they don't have the time freedom. Um, That's why I don't like certain businesses. For example, I don't like restaurants. I don't like cleaners. I don't like brick-and-mortar type businesses. I don't like franchises because those businesses, you don't have time freedom. You really do. Now, I'm not saying people who own those businesses are not wealthy. They could be wealthy, but they may not have time freedom because they got to be at that store, that storefront. They have to be at the restaurant. they got to be there because if they're not there, things are not going to go smoothly. Some, you know, they got to be at the cash register to make sure their employees are not stealing. So there's a lot of challenges when you have those kind of businesses. So time freedom would probably be the second thing that is really um, uh, important. Uh, let's see, you said th- five? Well, I don't know if I can get to five. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, well, as many as you can think of, and I think you've listed some very important ones. Um, mm-hmm. The only one that I would probably add is being healthy. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Because you, you can have all kinds of money, but if you don't have health, that money is, doesn't mean as much to you because that's a, that's another thing. And we see a lot of people who will burn, the, I would say, the candle on both ends trying to mm-hmm. get that. And that happens with a lot of entrepreneurs who are starting out their business. And so if you have um, a really good vision of what your business, what you want your business to look like, you have to look at it in stages, not as mm-hmm. i got to get this money. And I think that yeah. is the, that for me is where I'm saying it has to be about health because once Balance. you lose your health, it becomes a real difficult challenge for you to get back into balance. So that would be yeah. the only other thing. And I that would kind say. of goes along with the time freedom because when you don't have the time, you can't go work out, you can't go exercise. You know, you're spending all your time in the office or at a store, whatever business you're in, you're there all the time. And so that's why it's so important for people, um, 
entrepreneurs, everybody, if, um, to really create an investment portfolio and systems in your business where the system is doing all the work or the investment is doing all the work. You're not having to do the work to make it work. Does that make sense? Oh, it does. It definitely does. I like the idea of of the system because that's something that a lot of people may not think of is that everything, like we all know right now, almost every job now can be done with a robot, almost. Almost all jobs right now. Absolutely right. And so if you have your systems in place, that would allow you to take vacation. That would allow you to go to the gym or to take off or, you know, spend time and create better quality family life, you know. Mm -hmm. That's another area. So, again, I, I think we're hitting on a few things that the wealth consciousness or wealthiness is very important, but you want to keep that in mind. So when you have your list, it's not just your to-do list, but where you're going, your goal-setting part of it. So yeah. I, I like that. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Mm-hmm. So now tell me, you know, um, we've been talking a while. So, Cheryl, how would someone, you know, how would we find out how to get in touch with you and, and some of the um, offers that you would have? Because, you know, we've talked about you are you're a writer. You've mm-hmm. created an online platform. So how would people contact you if they wanted to work with you and, you know, have this dialogue and you could, you know, be that wealth coach for them? How would we get in touch with you? Well, um, again, yes, and thank you. Yes, I have a new project. It's not yet. It's launching soon, but it's going to be a, uh online entrepreneur online university. So it's going to be basically a platform where we will have one place where people can come and get all their courses on anything to do with entrepreneurship and life. Um, so there might be a course on Facebook Mastery. There, there might be a course on how to set up your business systems for your business. There will be a course on uh, how to cur- make sure you set up your correct business structure. So there's going to be all these different courses. We're launching with about 30 courses, and I'm hoping the end of November, um, maybe the beginning of December, um, that it will be launching. So I'm very, very excited about that. Uh, if people, uh, I do have actually a free gift to give to people. So if they want one of my e-books that I have, that's for free. Uh, it's called The Dead Sea Girl's Guide to Building a Million Dollar Online Empire. And if they want that, they can actually go to www.thejetsetgirl.com. And if they put their name and their email address in there, they'll automatically will get a my free ebook that I give out. So that's one way to get in touch with me. And once they sign up for that and they get the ebook, then I'll be in contact with them uh, periodically and let them know the different ways that they can work with me. And they can send me an email and uh, at info at sherlbrassard dot com if they want to have you know if they have questions. So I'm I'm definitely available. But if they want the free gift, they can go to thejetsetgirl dot com. And they'll get uh, the free ebook. Oh, perfect, perfect. Well, I just love this. This is like we have to do this again. <laughs> and so, and I just really loved your energy and just sharing, you know, where you have come. And I think when we got to that diversification, I think that was the hit. I really think it was. <laughs> yeah. Well, you hit again, and I want to thank you too because you really asked um, great questions, and I think that's really key, you know, when we're doing these types of, um, you know, interviews, it's always great when we have a great interviewer because 
there is so much information out there, and people can get a little bit overwhelmed on, you know, the Internet. The Internet is a great thing, but at the same time, it can be a little overwhelming. And I think that's why, you know, a lot of people are not successful financially because it's too much information. And so what you're doing is good because what it's doing is helping people to get very specific information and to find out where they can go to even inquire to get more information and more resources if necessary. Okay. So well, thank, thank you. you very Thank you. Okay. So, Mr. Brother Brethert, are we still on? <laughs> are you there?